Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. Woo! Woo! You are freaking out, man. <laughs> oh, well, we're on a uh, we're on a tear. Our second movie review in a row. It's been a little while since we've done a bunch of movie reviews. I think we're going to have a large grouping of them with all of the the films that are coming out uh, here in the near future and some of the ones that we've had to take a little bit of uh, time to get to (laughs) for a variety of different reasons. Yeah. Hopefully the frequency of the current ones, current theater releases, uh, we'll be able to get to on a more timely fashion, hopefully here soon. Yeah. Now that things are simmering down, I'm I'm hoping to start seeing some seeing some stuff in the theaters again cautiously <clears throat> but we're going to get to something that you can see at home right now it's on streaming it's on a few platforms but guess which one i watched it on uh youtube mm, as i've preached before i love me some hbo max and uh, what else is this on? Is it just on? Is it, it's on Hulu too? It's isn't on it? Hulu. Yeah. Okay. So we're we're talking about the King's Man, the the third film in the installment, a prequel to the two that have already been uh, released, uh, Kingsman uh, and Kingsman, uh, the Secret Service, and Kingsman, the Golden Circle, and Kingsman, the uh, lazily put together, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's got kings and yeah, something man and you know, find a pop star. Like we'll do yeah. something. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. This is one of those films that's based on a comic book property, so I'm always keenly interested in something like this. Um, and I watched the other two, and I enjoyed the other two, so I was hoping for the best for this one as well. Um. And uh, so, yeah, let's let's just jump into it. As always, we'll give a spoiler-free uh, little estimation of, is this something that you should have seen in the theaters? <laughs> or is it something that you should see on streaming? Or is it something that you should maybe wait to just be on some, you know, random TV and catch it when you can? Um, normally, I would say this is not something I would have gone to the theaters to see. It's a streaming thing, so seeing it on streaming was exactly right for me. Yeah, I mean, the the first two were fun, and I don't I don't even know necess- Well, I I guess the theater atmosphere has changed a bit in the last few years. But if you are one that goes to watch a lot of movies, then the first one for sure was a good one to go to. Second one, okay, this one. Yeah, 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 I mean, it would have lent something. Like, yeah, if you want to keep up with the C- series of them, yeah, cool. But it is a rated R film, so I wouldn't wait to see some edited version of it. I would no. want to go with the full, full blooded version, let's call it. But and I will generically say that I did enjoy this film, and we'll get into some details on that. What about you? Did you say you enjoyed this film? Yeah, it was just fine. <laughs> it was it was passable. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. 
Now we're going to get into our nitpicking mode, as we always do. We're going to break things down into multiple categories where we'll talk about the plot specifically, the location, cinematography, give them numeric values that when added together will get a score that can be up to 100, but could be lower. Uh, well, almost certainly be lower because it always is. Uh, and uh, see where that falls within our list of reviews that we've already done and uh, if it hits towards the top if it hits at the middle or if it joins wilson somewhere down at the bottom for me <laughs> wilson stays at the bottom uh yeah and have an all-time bottom list but maybe that's what we should do let's review our bottom rated movies yeah i don't think i want rambo last blood that's not something i want to go over ever again <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, let's uh, let's start with the cast on this one because I think that's the easy one to start with because there's a lot of carryover, which I wasn't exactly expecting. When you say carryover. There are a lot of actors in this film that were in the other films, not hmm. like the not necessarily like the the ones that you think of in their primary. Um, the primary parts, but a lot of the secondary actors were reused. Uh, one of the benefits of my having an ultimate comic movie database where we have all of the information about all of the films based on comic strips and comic books means that I have to manually enter all of this information in. And I can say, hey, this person has been in other films. What other films has this person been in? The other Kingsman films. I had that happen at least 10 times when I was entering in uh, the the actors that were in this film. Mm, interesting. Now, you say they were more of the secondary characters, right? Right. That's exactly right. So, I mean, it's 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 people that you would recognize if you just looked at them. It's like, oh, that dude was like the tailor in the other film. Oh, that dude was in the bar in the other film. Uh, that dude was a uh, general in the other film. That kind of a thing. Um, yeah, and and I think that has a lot to do with Matthew Vaughn, right? Because he did all the, he did the first two, so keep the same people to pull through as kind of homage to the first ones that he did. Absolutely, but the the people that that he got to be in this film, uh, or the that the producers got to be in the film, um, it's a great cast. It was a really great cast. Yeah, I think I think that was honestly one of the strong points for this movie. Uh, there, there's lots to talk about in terms of maybe the action and the setting and all those other things, right? But the cast, yeah, they got a lot of good faces, and they really did a good job with their characters in this movie. Definitely so. I mean, we've talked about uh, Jimon Hansu before, and he's one of our favorites. We... He's in everything. Well, at least, let me rephrase this. Everything I've ever seen him in, he's been great. I mean, just knocked out knocked out of the part, even if it's a small part like in Guardians of the Galaxy or his bit in Constantine. He's just always good. Going back to his gladiator days. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's great. Uh, Ralph Fiennes? I mean... That's another one that kind of no matter what he's in, he tends to just be awesome. I mean, some there is a segment of the population that will just always see him as Voldemort, but he's been so many 
characters in so many films, and he's generally just great, uh, no matter what. Um, what about the English Patient? What's your? Do uh, you like the English Patient? Do you like that movie? Well, um, to be fair, I didn't watch that one. I've read the English Patient. <laughs> <laughs> and when I when I read it, it's like, oh, if they ever make a movie of this, I'm not watching it. There, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so nah. But uh, uh, what did you think about uh, Reese Ifan? Okay, so I because of the makeup and the hair and everything, I didn't know I didn't know the actor who was playing. <laughs> Rasputin. Again, I thought he did great. I thought that character was, you know, every time you see a Rasputin character, I feel like it should be over the top in a certain sense. Yeah. And I thought he did great. Yeah, he uh, he's been in a number of different things, and he's generally pretty solid too. He's um, how can I say eccentric. Is that the right word? He he does eccentric well in a lot of his a lot of his characters. Yeah, we we've seen him in a in a in a Spider Man movie actually. Right, and uh, so I mean he's he's been just in in a number of different things over the years. I mean, he's he's got stuff going back to eighty nine. If you, if you decide to dig him up on IMDb, but uh, so yeah, so that was a uh, having him be in a major role was was great. Uh, Tom Hollander is just always a solid hand. I think one of the the people that I really liked in this one uh, was now is it is it Gemma or is it Gemma? Because I feel like you could pronounce like that very popular British name either way. I've heard but, it both uh, ways. I don't know which is right. I I like I like Gemma better. Because it's a G with a, a vowel after it, and mm-hmm. G E M is gem, so why wouldn't G E M M A be Gemma? Eh. Gemma's my mate, my name. No one else is the same. Um, I, I couldn't. I was thinking about that when we were talking about uh, Miss Gemma Gemma Chan, and one of the movies we talked about recently with her, and I was like, is it a hard or a soft G? <laughs> in-depth discussions that we're having right now. Anyway, yeah. Miss Archerton, um, she was really good in this movie. She's been a ton of things, a ton yeah, of things. Yeah, but she has. The, the, the few things that I've seen that she's been in, she's always been pretty solid as well. Yeah, so I mean, just the whole, the whole cast is solid. They snuck Stanley Tucci back in briefly, which mm-hmm. is kind of a fun little thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, just all around good acting, all around good choices, um, I don't really have much more to say on this particular bit of casting. It's just, like you said, it's kind of the strong strong point of the film. And that's why I gave it a 16 out of 20. Um, Yeah, I'll go with, uh, I'll probably go with the 17 X. I really liked everybody. The The one person I, I didn't like, and we're talking about how the plot will turn out in this, um, when when we, we talked about this a little bit, when you see this movie, if you haven't seen it, remember we're talking about spoilers in here. There's a table of the bad guys sitting around, you know, Rasputin's there and everybody, right. and you see a shadowed figure delivering what needs to be done. And it it's 
it's like Austin Powers to me. It's <laughs> the the voice that you're getting is it even sounds like an Austin, like a, a Mike Myers delivered voice. Just a I thought bit. I was like initially I thought did they actually get Mike Myers to do this? Because I was so serious in thinking that for like a couple of minutes. I was like, no, they, no, they didn't do that. It's, it's that bad. Good. I don't know what you describe it as, but I'd probably give the cast actually higher if it wasn't for that character. Cause well, that's the character though. And not, and not the actor. So, I mean, I think that in that instance, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. It's just that what he was supposed to do was maybe, let us say, stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is uh, yes. But the, but also the the fake accent was just like strong fake accent yeah it was it was it was it was, tri, it was a try hard fake accent <laughs> yeah <laughs> but very it, much so but still you know it, it is what it is now we talked about matthew vaughn we have to talk about the director going into this film not only with two previous kingsman films but also matthew vaughn's just experience with other things like x-men and kick ass and all that sort of thing you go in with a certain kind of quality expectation and so when i'm going into this you know ignoring the other kingsman stuff i go okay this is matthew vaughn this is going to be awesome and then i it's like oh kingsman so this is matthew vaughn kingsman this is going to be okay <laughs> so yes now the the, the thing about this is from a production standpoint, he's produced a lot of things. Right. From a direction standpoint, he's directed much fewer things, let's call it. If he's got directing credits, when a third of your directing credits are all Kingsman properties, right? Um, third or maybe a quarter or, or, or so, um, I think, do you think these are more pet projects in a certain sense. Like he had, he had an idea, he had a setup passion and the sure. first one did so well that they're like, man, we got to keep this thing going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, they say victim of your own success sort of thing. Uh, it may be one of those instances where it was a really fun story that probably should not have continued because what else are you really going to say? But at the same time, because of the subject matter of the particular film series, it won't hurt to make more because how many James Bond films have they made? None of those have really ever said anything new. It's just, here's a new way they try to kill him with a different person. And it doesn't work. And there are attractive women that he tries to sleep with. Next film. He doesn't try to sleep with the women. He succeeds at sleeping with the women <laughs> because he's James Bond. Uh, yeah, that's a, a hit or miss series for me. But, I mean, it. the reason to bring it up is it's got such a strong influence on this particular series in the first place. Um, and Matthew Vaughn understands this, and he clearly has 
a very good relationship with the actors and the editors and everybody on this film. It seems like, like it or not, with the end result of the film, that it is a well-oiled machine that puts out exactly what they intended to put out with few to no mistakes. When I was uh, younger, uh, I did actually own all of the James Bond VHS tapes, so I was a huge fan of the James Bond films. As they kind of progressed here recently, they've changed the tones, right? Yeah. And they've gotten more serious and more emotional and not so campy right like the previous ones and i think on this one you get the tone of the seriousness and a little less campy in this one like like right. the first couple were more light-hearted yes. the action sequences were over the top the villain was over the top the villain's henchwoman <laughs> with the razor blade feet right like cheesy over-the-top stuff yep. but fun that was not really a thing in this one it no. had more of a traditional movie tone to it with a few subtle behind the scenes things yeah but just from how the film was put together again regardless of what we think about the actual plot of the film i mean it's clear that uh for the most part it's good. I, I had some issues with some of the pacing, but I think that was more to do with the writing than it was with editing. Um, so, I mean, for me, it's just, it's solid. It's not amazing. It's not awful. That's that's like a three-quarter score for me. That gives me a 15 out of 20 for the director on this one. And you're, you're right that when you say a polished, well-oiled machine... It, it has the look and feel of, I think, what he wanted to have the look and feel of it. So I, I think 15 is a fair score. I can't penalize it. I, you know, at being a C grade is a, I think it's just there. It's spot on. Yeah. Uh, and, and you said pacing, too. I mean, the movie's over two hours long. Yeah. And, I mean, is it possible, do you think, that this movie could have been shorter? Yes. It definitely could have. I mean, uh, we talked... Uh, a little bit at the end of the the previous episode that you know I went to see Batman in the theaters and Batman the new the Batman is a long film it does not feel long it there's your the whole thing is necessary the whole thing works this film was long and I felt it there were instances where I just in my mind was like okay get to the point please let let's keep moving yeah, I got I got some of that too, for sure. Easily distracted at times when you're just like, uh, uh, look at your phone, see what time it is. Oh, uh. <laughs> oh, there's a movie on. Okay, let me put this down. That's right. But uh, you know, it's there are a lot of plus sides. I mean, when you're going to do a um, film that is specifically from a very specific time period that gives you a chance to shine in other areas, say like costuming. Uh, and I think I, I, it's just something about that World War One, World War Two aesthetic, the the military garb. Uh, while I don't like 
uh, the, the aspects of real war, I like the pageantry uh, that you can see in a lot of these uniforms and the way that they're reflected in film. And I thought this film did a great job of showing that. I wish I knew if that was an accurate uh, representation of a uniform for a soldier in World War One. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of things that you see presented from World War Two, and some of those things are vastly inaccurate, mm -hmm. and some of them are spot-on accurate. But there's not a lot of World War One things out there, right? Um, the most recent one is probably 1917, and I'm sure they put a lot of effort into making sure that those things were fairly accurate. So I'm going to guess that these were decent and you saw a lot of the british troops and soldiers and you saw um the germans as well but you saw a lot more than that i feel oh, yeah. this, right you had you, just the costuming from the parties the 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 high-end fashion that the aristocracy would be wearing that that was some really intricate costume work yeah and he was always presented in this movie the, the i mean the main character presented in this movie as a higher class citizen right so he had to have the higher class look and feel of the clothing the cane even you know like all the little bits and pieces of things the the this is a separate category but when you go into the library or the office it's loaded with books and Yep. You know, fine mahoganies, uh, right? So they, I, I think they put a lot of effort into having a good presentation for all aspects of the physical things that the people wore, handled, interacted with. And even down to like the, the props they used, the, the guns that were used, the, the parachute, because that was a huge focus at towards the end of the film was so good. I mean, I'd almost give this a perfect score if it wasn't for the gun sword, which was just dumb. It was a little cheesy, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what about the, the the rifles themselves were fine. Yeah. The um, the machine guns were good. The, the the pistol that had the flare gun on it was, yeah, eh. eh, looked like a. It looked like a miniature trumpet on the bottom. A little bit. Um, so there were there were just a couple of small things where it's just like almost, almost. It's like they they, they did so well, and, and they're just the other stuff was so good that those just kind of stood out as eh, not quite right. It's like oh, you've been playing Final Fantasy VIII, haven't you? And you wanted to, <laughs> you wanted the gun blade in there. Mm -hmm. God, it's like, yeah, that that was okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know how okay it was. <laughs> I thought it was just kind of. I understand you want to have the way that he can cheat, but would it be just as easy for him to have the blade and then grab a pistol and shoot him? It, it's just. Well, then it wouldn't have that flare. Then now would it? What flare? <laughs> There was no flare gun. Yeah, there we go. No, it's just it's just impractical and not good. <laughs> just physics bad. 
<laughs> so for, yeah, yeah, no. you're you're right. Uh, pretty solid all around. I want to say. Yeah, uh, for me, because of how good everything else was, even those couldn't detract more than a point off of that. So I'm I'm still giving it a nine out of ten on the costuming. A nine is nine is fair. Yep. Yeah. And uh, location. I had a little more problem with this. There were some elements that you're talking about that were so very good, like the like the estate. Anywhere they were on the estate was great. Several areas in the trenches were good. Um, is it accurate to have uh, that giant mountain mesa kind of thing in the middle of Ireland? That didn't seem right to me. Well, was it in Ireland? Is that where they placed it at? Or Scotland, sorry. That's what I meant. Well, anyway, in, in that general vicinity. I didn't I guess I didn't even really know where they had placed it at. Maybe it was when it was long and drawn out and I was looking at my phone while I was watching the movie, what actual location they had placed that gigantic rock pillar thing at yeah i don't know if it i don't know what part of the yeah. world it was at. and i could be completely wrong on this i mean because it's not like geography <laughs> world geography is my strongest suit but it just seemed off i don't ever remember hearing anything about anything like that in scotland and it just didn't look real it looks so incredibly fake um, and out of place. I mean, because I get it. The bad guy's got to have the bad guy lair, and it's got to kind of stand out in some way. But this is World War One, so there's not going to be high-tech anything. So what do we give them? Oh, let's just have them be on top of a fl flat-top mountain with goats. Sure. He had a lift to get you up there, though. Yeah, with a guy that would that would... <laughs> <laughs> turn everything for you the the early uh early elevator but it just it everything else looked so good i mean like the the key things like the 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 tailor shop it's just such a, an important piece of this particular film still looked great and when everything else looks so good and this looks so dumb again it's kind of like the the gun blade it just sticks out for me and just bothered me so much and it was a pretty prominent prominent location uh throughout the course of the movie as well but there were very i mean they were in the desert they were in a winter setting yep. you know they were in those are both great lush greenery they were in uh a exploded battlefront with the trenches so th yeah. there was a variety of places that they had to present to you in it and you're right for the most part those things were pretty solid um i liked how they presented the battlefield as a little town and then it just kind of evolved into a big black expanse of death right and i i don't think that when you see war movies you don't see a lot that revolve around world war one right i'll go back to 1917 but that wasn't that was a war that was a movie based on that but it was really like hey this is the 
kid and he's running with a continual shot to <laughs> tell somebody something. It wasn't a let's do trench warfare thing. And the fact that they showed the scene where everybody like they blew the whistle and they got up and they started running. And everybody just got mowed down like that's how it was. Once the trenches were established, it was a total death field. Just everybody dying and gross and you couldn't survive out there yeah and to see just a snippet of a hint of that and and have it be somewhat believable i i give props to that because you just yeah. don't get a lot of that vision because the thing i mean that happened a hundred years ago yeah and, and for the most part i i really liked how the film approached all the locations i like i said it's only the one that really stuck out so for me that's an eight out of ten. Again, nitpicking. So I mean, I I rail against the one thing, but it's just the one location, and then everything else is really good. So for me, that's an eight. You know, I'll go with a nine on this one too. Very solid. Now, maybe maybe it affects me more because location is so important. And in fact, we're at the location of the episode where we talk about social media. Hey there, Pudding People. Don't forget to check us out on our social media accounts so you can keep apprised of everything that we do any time of the day. Richard, you're most on Instagram, right? On the Gram Gram, yes. And what are we best known on Instagram as? Pudding Guys. Easy enough. In fact, that's also what we're known as on Facebook. Now, I'd say we're on Instagram just a little more than we are on Facebook. You might get the occasional update there. We are most active on Twitter, where we are at Real Pudding Guys. Uh, we will give you updates about the next episode that's going to be coming at the end of the week, when it's released, any other little updates to the Ultimate Comic Movie Database or the Pop Culture Death Counts will also be there. Um, now, our most exciting changes are going to be coming up soon. We're going to have a new website called Fate the film and television engine. We're getting close to doing the beta for that. We're still working on the alpha side. We'll be doing a little closed beta and inviting a handful of people into this. I tell you what, it's gonna be really, really cool when it releases. Now you'll be able to also hear about that on our Patreon page. What are we on Patreon, Richard? Budding guys. Pretty easy. Now right now, it's very easy to support us. How much does it cost, Richard? It's $1 per month. Per month. Not per day. Per month. <laughs> yes. $12 <laughs> for a year. Yeah. Uh, that's really not much to help support us as we release new content, as we get better equipment to release the content into. And when the Fate engine comes out, it will have its own cost, and we're going to make it very affordable for everyone to be involved with this. And it's going to be so cool. I can't wait for you all to hear about it. Do you feel that that was in the right location, listeners? <laughs> Did you get the right longitude and latitude? That's right. Should it be at the beginning? Dial it up. At the end. I don't know. Um, well, that, so we were talking about the location and how the the – how all these places are different that kind of blends right into the next category of cinematography there's definitely some cgi in this because you know you're just going to have some but it's intended to blend into the background you're not supposed to really notice where the cgi is in this because it's the gunfire and some of the other stuff most of it's practical and 
the color palette changes from scene to scene are dramatic and really, really good. Yeah, there there are times for it to be sunny outside and have the green grass and the tailored suits and the pretty. And there are times for it to be dull and overcast and have a lot of those more subtle, gross tones to it. There was like like we said in the case, like there was a desert, right? So everything was brown. The uniforms were brown. The sand, the carts, the everything had that element of it, and the transitions were pretty good, right? Across across the different presentations, like there was a lot of uh, of good. And you're right, there was CGI, but when people would jump or they would jump instead of jumping their normal, you know. 14 inch jump but end up being like a you know 48 inch vertical <laughs> type thing but you didn't necessarily notice other than it looks off a bit because if you go if you go back to like the first couple films right some of those things were way over the top yeah you had to have that cgi for the weapons and the how people attacked each other and the weird things that that they would do robots different animals yeah or kill you know the the church sequence when everybody just gets mowed down like there's tons of cgi in there that you don't present in the forefront you just you just get a lot of it in subtle hints in that at this i think you're right there was less of it in this one more practical and more focused on the actual look and the feel of the actors and the what they were wearing and where they were at there are some great sweeping shots, some nice transitional shots. Um, you know, the establishing shot is always important. And with so many different locations, they had a lot of establishing shots. <laughs> but I, that, that becomes bothersome if the locations kind of stank, but they didn't. It's pretty, and it's just nice. So it didn't really bother me. Um, except for, you know, Scotland, uh, (laughs) that one bothered me, but, uh, that was, that was less to do with the camera angle and the way they approached it than what they were filming. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of some of the choices on flow and camera angle during the close combat. It was muddled. Um, not confusing. Well, you had to give the presentation that these people knew what they were doing, right? Sure. So that that's the way you do it. You have flashy angles, and you spin the camera in a different direction, and you cut things, and it makes it look like the people are competent with what they're doing, even mm. though deep down they've trained for two months, but just really aren't competent for it. And that you could tell some people were, were confident in what they were doing. Yeah. Right. It's not like they were flipping things around and they're like. It's when you watch Star Wars, for example, and you watch Revenge of the Sith and people are like, uh, there's a couple of lightsaber battles that are going on throughout there. Some of those people like competence, like I, I got this. But then you get Samuel Jackson and he just it's like, well. I'm cool. I'm going to pick this thing up tomorrow and we're going to just swing it around. And I, <laughs> that's what we're going to get. 
Like he never practiced the thing ever once in his life, except for the day before he had the shoot. Everybody and it just cool. Yeah, but he had purple, so we're good. You know, I, I don't, I don't feel like we got any of that out of no any of these folks. That's for sure. No, but part some of the some of the combat happened at night and of course everything has to be dark and then again that muddles things and you can't really see there were just a lot of instances where i did not like the confusing method in which the visuals were being shown i mean it's it's like you said it could be unavoidable but it did detract a little bit from it so some of the cool stuff was a little bit detracted from by me for how it was portrayed in some of the more some of the more up tempo moments. And really what if there was a CGI thing, I, I know the the train was straight CGI. You could tell on that one. Not inside the train. Right. But like filming it outside. Um the the actual cliff top precipice straight cgi and some of those some of those things you could tell but others others were yeah so it was a mixed bag you're right of good and bad so so for me mixed bag where uh a lot of times it tends to get the same score it's like oh nothing was awful nothing was great that's a 15 uh in this instance some things were great some things were awful that's a 15 (laughs) Because it kind of balanced itself again. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine to me too. You're right. The, I think the colors kind of elevate the score a bit, and the the flashiness when it needed to be, but not too flashy when it should. Fifteen's a fair score. Yeah. All right. So now this one I felt was more affected by the writing than uh, than Free Guy was at least. Let me rephrase that. No, because they're both really strongly affected. Uh, I think the writing on this was weaker. <laughs> That's just the, the nicest way to put it. I had some problems with the writing. Yeah, and there was some... There was some... Okay, you, you want to do plot twists. Okay. Then do them. Yeah. <laughs> no, surprise people. And that didn't happen. And some of the scenes and where they're interacting. Okay, so let's let's go into the simple thing, and you discussed it before. Let's go into the quote twist. Let's start with right. that one. Right. Yeah. We um, we talked about this a little bit before recording. Yeah. Um, go go with your moment when okay. you're like, eh, yeah. So. I think I described it best as if you're watching NCIS or uh, SVU or something like this and you see a guest star, you know, a major name appear and you go, oh, there's the bad guy. You get that moment as soon as you get the the, the guy walks in as the assistant to to the general and it's like, yeah, that's the bad guy. <laughs> It's just there's there's no question there's no chance that's not the bad guy. It was so incredibly obvious that I know you're trying to hide it, um, but yeah, no, no, it wasn't even wasn't even hard. 
yeah, he just seemed out of place in a lot of those scenes he was on early. And if you didn't figure it out when the submarine, well, we didn't know it was a submarine, I guess, in, in, initially, um, when when the submarine blows up the ship, yeah, like if you didn't know by then, you had you had to have known then, yeah, that was the bad guy. So it wasn't a secret. It, no. it really, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a twist. <laughs> but it wasn't you know no. we were talking too we we're like oh well the the briefcase that he the brought in with the documents that's just going to explode yeah because he's the bad guy yep. right like that that's what we thought we both kind of discussed yep. that yeah we both had that same it, thought it shifts to the 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 submarine and then they show the the torpedo come and explodes i'm like oh well he's alive clearly <laughs> it, was, it was no it was no surprise so no now that's... it's not that they didn't have any surprises i was particularly fond of one bit where because if you watched any of the ads coming up to this film they kind of made it seem like okay this is going to be uh, a group of people that are coming after the bad guys and the group is going to include shola's Jimon Hansu, and it's going to include Gemma, and it's and it's going to include, you know, uh, Harris Dickinson as Conrad Oxford. He's the protagonist. He is this this generation's good guy that's going to lead into it. And to have him just absolutely just horked <laughs> in the middle of the film, that was great. Yeah, I was like, so the the whole sequence before that was, hey, it's the nighttime. We're gonna agree to put our guns down because that was good too. That 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 actually made sense. Like when you want when you're when you're watching that, you're like, come on, that's that's cheesy. That wouldn't. No, this is just a way to set up a hand fight. A dude with a hammer, he's got armor. Like you're just setting this up. But realistically, the punch dagger. during World War One, if you heard anything, you just shot your guns, man. That's what. That's, that's what happened. Yeah. So the setup was actually true. So so he went through the fight. The general, uh, colonel, whatever, sacrificed himself so he could save the game cool whatever that whole sequence was what what it was and then he fights and he carries the dude back on his shoulders and he has the message and he just gets <laughs> right in the forehead and you're like uh, okay that happened like it that part yes that was a pleasant surprise yes. to like just a meaningless kill off right like it wasn't because he was fighting or trying to do anything it was just like the dude was paranoid, shot him in the face. And, well, and it, it takes it takes the expectation that the viewer has and turns it around on its head and goes, this was World War One. He was going to die. <laughs> yeah, he should like, never have lived to begin with. Right. Now he's dead. Yeah. So that part was, that yeah, that part was, that was the best, yeah, twist yeah. in the whole movie. Yeah, that was, that was, that was very good. I, Having fine struggle with the um, loss of his son was pretty solid. I thought that was pretty well written, if if a bit formulaic, but still good. And yet magically, with a cup of coffee, he's in fighting shape. <laughs> well, he just needed a massage from Rasputin to get his leg to function better. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, that scene brings up a whole other thing. 
what happened to all the other people that were there? Yes, they just disappeared. Just whatever. You know, we're shouting. We're having uh, gun fights and sword fights, but nobody yeah, else is gone. Yeah. They gone. Or maybe it's that they they hear it and they look for Rasputin and he's not there. It's like, I'm just going to act like nothing happened because if I don't, he's going to kill me. <laughs> and it wasn't just like the sequence happened and it was a, a minute. No, it was long. The whole thing was like five, ten minutes long of them messing around and him eating the cake and then projectile vomiting up later that was actually really fun too because i you know just just with the history of that character you're gonna have rasputin in there and he's clearly going to be a villain and he's in the in the ads kind of shown as the villain and again not and that's fine less of a interesting twist but okay whatever uh but just working that real history into it of the number of ways that he was supposed to have been attempted to be killed and just didn't die and putting them all in one scene. That was really kind of clever. And I, I did like the, uh, I don't know how he got his voice or if it was actually him getting his voice that low when he was doing like the, like, <laughs> the, the throat singing. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I like that. I mean, not funny, but funny. Um, so, but the, yeah, the big question I got out of that was where is everybody else? But I got that same one too. Okay. So there's a plane flying over your top secret base and it actually crashes, which we never see. Right. Parachutes out to nobody. Yeah, nobody reacts at all. <laughs> There's nobody. Like, <laughs> the, the goats come down, <laughs> but the people are just like, oh, "What's that airplane?" Eh, no biggie. <laughs> no, we're, it we're seems just, to like, be going whole, down. Right. Where is everybody? That that confused me a bit too. That, that they played that in there just so they could have. A goat joke would be my guess. Yeah, that was that was pretty bad. But there were uh, again, there were instances where there was something that was just a little clever. The uh, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, where he tries it uh, the first time and fails, and he's just sitting at the the cafe and looking at that arsenic pill. And it's like I guess I got to kill myself. It's, and looks, and there they are. <laughs> that is yeah. just so funny. Took a wrong turn. <laughs> They're arguing in the alley. And it's like, oh my God. So that's a, that's a so bad it's good kind of a bit in the film. That was just a lot of fun. And I, you know, in terms of the the names and the faces and how the how World War One started and how they kind of played it into the movie itself was was fine because they had the right. You know, nobody knows the true context behind a lot of those unless you dig it through the history books. But if you're going to lay it out in, oh, they were all cousins and then they were wanting to fight because some other country got mad at the other person and then they, yeah, okay, cool. Let's break down the whole essence of the world war into like a, a group that didn't like one guy and then they, the cousins, one backed one and the other back, you know, like done, the end. Oh, okay. I, I guess 
fits into the storyline how it needed to be, I suppose. Yeah, you're going to get some simplifications and some just outright changes of things. It's, it's based on a comic. There's no way around that. Even on something that's trying to really put it in historical context, it's still going to get it wrong. It's just the nature. So I, I, I wasn't expecting too much realism in terms of how things actually played out in this, but it did better than I thought it would. It was mostly accurate. <laughs> so, you know, I'll take that. Fun. I'll take that. Um, the dialogue was all right throughout the film. I mean, nothing that was just amazing. Um, I'm a big fan of a good bit of exposition. There was no great exposition. The back and forth was very formulaic for the most part. It was it was all right. So, you know. Uh, enough to bore you from time to time and enough to keep you entertained. Yeah, well, not really, but that uh, enough to not make you fall asleep. Right. So you, you have to, if you're going to have action sequence, talking action sequence, talking, you're going to, you got to have something to keep the entertaining force in place. But like you said, the pacing kind of ruined that a little bit. Right. Um, but that's, that ties into the plot because you have to deliver information to make the other parts make sense. But sometimes sometimes the information is just not entertaining. No, so, no. Uh, one thing I did enjoy at the end of the film when you know everybody's becoming their member of the round table. This is Lancelot and this is so-and-so. And that, you know... Having it be its origin, be in his son's interest in the King Arthur legends, like oh, that's 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 a fun thing to have in there. But the part that I really liked was um, was the fact that they had Polly's character not be Guinevere because well, she's the girl, so she has to be Guinevere. <laughs> so it's like you know, um, I'm I'm glad they actually had her be um had her be one of the the knights it just makes more sense because they would not have succeeded without her she's she's you know the main character it, it was it was well mm -hmm. done in that respect i thought it was a nice nice bit um but yeah yeah i i think overall in terms of if you if if you liked the first two movies but you like Maybe you like the story, maybe you like the action, maybe you liked both um, of how, you know, trying to take over the world in certain aspects. Then you got, you got, you, you got that out of this one too. You, you, I, like I said, if you, if you like the first two, you'll like this one as well. Yeah. Maybe not as much as the first two. It's a different, this just has a different spirit than the first one. That's all I can really say. Um, and part of that, part of that is the plot because you're just developing the whole basis for future storylines. I want to say, yeah, and you know, and just some special points that I already worked into it. Anytime you have a uh, actor Aaron Taylor Johnson in it in any part, that's just a plus for me. I love that dude. Uh, <laughs> I want to see yeah. him get more parts. I loved it when he showed up in Tenant. That was. He was great in that one. Yeah, but you're you're right. It was it was nice to see his his face show up too. Yeah, good stuff. So for me on the plot, some really 
good, good bits, some really bad, bad bits, and a lot of too long. For me, that's a with still an enjoyable, cohesive story. That's a fourteen for me. I was gonna knock it down a bit more and say twelve. So that's fair. All right. Do you have any bonus points? No. Um, where's my score at though? Seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. <laughs> let me let me do the math um, again because we're recording late. See, this is twenty twenty. Uh, see, that's thirty-two, forty-seven, forty-nine, fifty-nine, sixty-eight, seventy-seven. Yes. Mm. <laughs> this doesn't feel like a seventy-seven to me. <laughs> no, but the scores and, and everything were accurate. Uh, oh, I got you. I got you right here. I'm going to give minus two points to the advertisements for this one. Presenting <laughs> us with false pretenses. All right. That, that works for me. Uh, because in our bonus points, we don't have to have any rhyme or reason <laughs> to do what we want. <laughs> I, what we want, what we want. I have no other bonus points for mine. Mine comes in as a solid 76. So enjoyable. I will likely not be watching this again. Uh, though I'm sure I'll purchase it because it's a comic book film and I must own them all. Uh, <laughs> just because of how I am. Yeah. I don't see myself watching this one again either. Yeah. But what do you think, listeners? Uh, you know, did you think this was just exactly everything that you hoped that it would be? Did you have the same kind of issues with it that we did, uh, or did we miss something? Some glaring omission? Let us know on social media. We always love to hear what you have to say. Next week, we're going to be back with uh, one of our top ten lists again. We're going to be talking about the top ten movies of extraordinary length. Kind of like <laughs> The King's Man. Will this make it onto our top 10 long movies? No. <laughs> I don't think so either. 